getting to the reason we're all here, which is Alan Rickman. You know, like bring bring it. <laughs> Look down at your Rick, ticket. It you doesn't know? say Die Hard. It just says Alan Rickman on it. Alan Rickman presents an Alan Rickman project. <laughs> Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name's DJ. And my name is Damon. My name's actually John McLean. Mm, and I'm the guy who runs security at the lobby <laughs> of the building. <laughs> and I need a Ricola. Uh, today we're going to look at Die Hard, an action flick. It's an action flick, and I don't know... If Damon, I don't know if you know this, but I've always thought of Die Hard as a as a Christmas movie. Uh-huh. I, I think of it as it's one of my favorites to watch around the holidays. It's like a Christmas yeah, movie. No, yeah, DJ, as a as a straight white man, I expected you. I expected this from you. My favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> so I do want to address the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash. <laughs> because I mean, I don't want to be also a basic white man, but I mean, Die Hard is set at Christmas, which is the tenuous grasp that most Christmas movies have to being a Christmas movie. Home Alone isn't about Christ's birth in a manger. (laughs) It's about a kid being left alone at Christmas. Otherwise, it's just about beating the shit out of some petty thugs. It's taking you know, and, a vigilante justice to the extreme. It's pretty much just death wish with a wreath on the door. And A Christmas Carol is about ghosts. <laughs> Why don't we watch that for our Halloween episodes? Uh, we can knock out like six years of Halloweens just watching The Christmas Carol over and over again. Um, and I mean, Love Actually is also just a turd with tinsel on it. I mean, just let I mean, Die Hard have this. And Miracle on 34th Street isn't like about Santa Claus. <laughs> it's about capitalism. It's about Saturnalia, <laughs> really. Mithras. It's about Mithras. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in case you're not aware of what we're talking about, it's it was a classic. It I feel like it started maybe, I don't know, five to 10 years ago that people started being like, making a point of saying that Die Hard was a Christmas movie. And then about two and a half years ago, everyone started getting annoyed at people who were like, oh, stop saying that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. And now I'm here to turn the wheel yet again and take the whole country down with it. I will so discord (laughs) like Donald Trump, but purely based on Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Here's the thing. I Two things. One, I don't really care whether you think this is a Christmas movie. I am generally annoyed by the whole Christmas thing, not by the thing itself, but by how the volume of it. And the thing that bothers me most about Christmas is just that the same 20 songs keep, get, keep, I don't even hate those songs. I just hate any 20 songs that you play that often for that long. So like, it reminds me of like, if you ever worked in a restaurant and they have a playlist, like before the days of, you know, uh, an infinite playlist or a Pandora station Nick or whatever. It infinite just, playlist. Yeah. Exactly. It would just be before the days of that movie when they invented an infinite playlist, you would just uh, you would just hear the same twenty to thirty songs over and over and over again. So if you worked for even just a four hour shift, you would hear the songs several times each. And so that's what Christmas feels like to me. So that's 
that's really my only issue with Christmas is just the the sort of insistence and the volume of it. I like I like the getting the little kids uh, in my family gifts and get the getting excited. I used to get excited about presents. Now I just enjoy you know the time with family, which I'm not going to have this year, and <laughs> enjoy the uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm not a big winter fan, so that bugs me a little bit too. But I know you are. You love multiple layers, DJ. Let's talk. About you and I could not be more different. I love winter. I mm. love multiple layers. I have a small orgasm every put- time I put a sweater over a button-up shirt. Um, <laughs> I also, I have worked retail, hey, man, hey, man. so I Just have experienced... Real quick, real quick. Real yeah. quick. Looks great on you. Looks Thank great you. on you. Thank you, because it covers up my more unsightly lumps and bumps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have worked retail, though, and I have experienced the... Uh, I, spe- I even worked retail, you know, at the Gap, where they would try and dig up like more obscure Christmas songs, mm-hmm. which yeah. I mean, I appreciate the effort. And the first time I'm like, oh, I've never heard this one before. And then, you know, by hour three, I'm like, fuck you, Louis right. Armstrong. I don't care yeah. if now, that you Santa Claus. Yeah. Now you've heard it just as much right, as the other exactly. one. So it doesn't matter. Um, ooh, the man with the bag is the one that I just want to learn archery for 20 years and shoot it through the throat of that woman. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> infuriating. She's so is smug. Is that woman Ella Fitzgerald? <laughs> hey, I don't make the rules. She threatened me first. It's K-Star. You're okay. I don't know who that is. <laughs> we can lose her. We can lose her real quick. <laughs> she can go. That, that's neither here nor there, though. The reason we're doing this, we, I try and avoid like doing movies where it's obvious that these like movies are classics. But when I found out that you had never seen Die Hard, despite you never just saying that it's your favorite Christmas movie. Uh, you have never seen <laughs> seen Die Hard, and much like uh, the time I watched yeah. you watch now, I I want to experience this with you. I, so I don't have I, I know Alan Rickman is in this. I'm excited for that. Uh, yes, I don't. I don't recall the blonde guy from the Money Pits in it. Okay. Okay. Does does Alan get to Rickman out in this, or is he kind of he's like more subtle in this? Isn't he? Uh, he doesn't. I mean, he's not. He's uh, you're probably going to get. Uh, I want to say thirty three percent Severus Snape. Okay. Okay. The sort of stewing, a little stewing, but smoldering, pretty charming. I will say, also German accent, and uh, I don't know. He he's pretty charming in it. Wait, this is his first also German accent. This is his first this movie. Is his first, wow. I think this is his first movie. I mean, he was a theater guy, and then this was right. his first movie. Hmm. Well, I know. I know. Well, here's what I know about this movie. I know that it's before John McClane became more of a like a, of is his own stereotype. This was more like a somewhat normal guy. He's a police officer, right? Like, in yeah, the, he's like, a New York. He's not. He's a New York cop, but he's visiting yeah. his estranged wife in L.A. Right. And so he's not like, he's not like a uh, every man in the sense that he's not, he is law enforcement, but he's not a cab. Of course. Like, <laughs> right. Of course. He, he, but he's not like a, uh, like Schwarzenegger style. He, he's like normal guy saves the day. Right. It, is sort of the, it uh, is ironic. Does, that the does later superhuman things. Uh, it's, it's ironic that the later diehards, he's sort of like, I think the last one I saw, he drove a semi tractor trailer off of an unfinished highway into a helicopter 
And I was like, I don't know if I really relate to John McClain in the way I did in the past. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, they hired Bruce Willis. He's not, he's not a bad looking fella, I'll say in this, but he's definitely not the super ripped, like Sly Stallone in, in this era and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. like that type of build. He's definitely being like, uh, positioned as like a counterpoint to those type of guys, right. like John Claude Van Damme, which was also a, a thing for a minute somehow. Well, whenever I think of that, I'm like, wow, he can do the splits. <laughs> he was like, yeah, okay. So can Mary Lou Redden. It's fine. <laughs> we didn't put her uh, in <laughs> fucking Street Fighter, although we should. So, have. although we should have, she's an American hero. It would make more sense for her to play Sergeant Guile than anything else. <laughs> That's true. Plus, she's got an famously, iconic haircut. Famously French, Jean-Claude, or Belgian, was he? Much like Hercule Poirot before him, he is Belgian. Famously Belgian, Jean-Claude Van Damme as Colonel Guile <laughs> from the U.S. The American um, hero. I can't understand a word he's saying. So, was was this like, I know it wasn't, like, Bruce Willis was more of a comedy guy before this, right? Well, he was in I mean, Moonlighting, which was, his, I think, his right. big claim to fame at this point, which was, right. I mean, it was sort of like a detective uh, thing, but also with Sybil Shepard, you had a will-they-won't-they they kind of comedy thing. So, yes. Right. Also, let's not poo-poo his musical career. Was that before this? I believe, unfortunately, this gave him the liquidity to start that venture. Yeah, right. We didn't even really talk about that with Keanu. I mean, you know what? I've got a dog star tattoo on my back, so. You wanted to skip right over that. <laughs> right, so I don't want to bring it up because it's humiliating. We should, do a whole, we should do a whole show on actors, side careers, and music. I'm sorry, uh, your sound must have been breaking up just then. I missed everything you said. <laughs> don't bother repeating it, though. I'll just listen to this episode later and uh, get it that way, which is much more easy when you think about it. I said, <laughs> nah, still got nah. I'm hopping on this helicopter. I'll see you later. I mean, we got it. We got to get on this uh, Vin Diesel's album. Oh, it's hot, I forgot still hot. that that was a thing. <laughs> so it's Bruce Willis, Harmonica, Eddie Murphy, I'm sure will be thrown in there. Vin Diesel. Yeah. You've got Dog Star Keanu. with Keanu. Kevin Bacon, the Bacon oh, Brothers. The fucking Bacon Brothers. And of course, Billy Bob Thornton like, uh, with his band. Would you ask um, Tom Petty that? How fucking dare you? Billy Bob is a musician first, <laughs> even though he was an actor and first. exclusively a musician. Don't even bring it up. <laughs> why would you ask that? Tom Petty's main acting role was in The Postman. That's why I wouldn't ask Tom Petty that question. And playing himself. Playing and Tom, if Tom Petty. Petty came around on a uh, press junket to advertise for The Postman, I don't think he would get angry if I brought up the fact that he's in a legendary band, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Listen. Any other questions about Die Hard that I can help with? He walks on broken glass for some reason. Yes. Uh, because I think he loses his shoes. I don't know why he loses his shoes. He ends up in the ducts. This is a very duct heavy movie, if I recall. Uh, <laughs> and by recall, I mean, I've never seen it, but I mean, recall from the, your, uh, things from the I've young seen. Jungian subconscious memories that you're pulling <laughs> yeah. down. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, there point, is some duct work in this. There's a skyscraper. You're doing great. I'm going to let you continue on this uh, path. I don't know. That's that's all I know. I'm expecting to like this because I think this is everything I've seen, the clips I've seen or whatever. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this. You know, uh, if I had to put money on it, dollars to donuts, 
I'd also say you'd probably like this. And I say that, like, I don't think, I don't want to make any predictions, but I think if, if John McClane dies, it won't be easy. <laughs> uh-huh. Go, you can, keep going with that. Pull that thread some more. <laughs> All right, we're going to watch Die Hard. Uh, watch along with us. We'll be back after this. After these messages, we'll, we'll be, be right back. Do you want a podcast that will figuratively walk across broken glass? Yes, I do. Because I have something. I left something on the other side of that broken glass, and I really could use a podcast to go get it. Yeah. And if you want that, uh, that's us <laughs> in this metaphor. Uh, Patreon.com slash your child's an idiot. You can become a patron. We uh, have some different levels. You can uh, get your names in the written credits. You can get your names read by us, by our oral credits. Like tones oral of credits. our voice. Um, oral. Oral. It depends or on who's oral. doing what. Uh, either way. <laughs> it, yeah. But are you giving or receiving? Subdom. Like a um, subdom thing. Uh, <laughs> Either way, we have some Patreon-exclusive episodes. Uh, we're doing more of that this year because we're stuck in our homes. <laughs> we don't have anything else to do. <laughs> uh, so, patreon.com slash idiot. We uh, appreciate your support. We're back, and we watched Die Hard. So I, I think I think uh, we pretty much recapped it in the not intro, to mention but, uh, all of Hollywood in the early '90s uh, giving their elevator pitches also recapped Die Hard to any executive they could get their their hands on. <laughs> Let me do it, Please. okay? So New York cop visited his estranged wife on the West Coast, gets inadvertently in a hostage situation, but uh, is able to steal away. Can you list the number of people who have vertently? Entered a hostage situation. <laughs> that's sort of the hostage. Like that's the the mo. You're not a. I got in. Got to be the a hostage, hostage again. Inadvertently there. Who? What? Huh? I said a hostage situation. Inadvertently, the hostage takers are also involved in a hostage situation. They and are inadvertently. Definitely inadvertently yeah, there. You're right. My apologies to you and our listeners. Please continue. Our hero, uh, through through a series of crafty machinations, foils the plot. Uh, of the criminals and saves the day. And his marriage falls apart? Mm, no. Interesting. He he shoots people so good <laughs> that they become Well, the thing is, that's how they met, shooting people. So right. it reminded her why she fell in love with him in the first place. <laughs> he is a cop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, that's... That's pretty much. I think you know a lot of you probably know Die Hard, but that's that's the. But nuts you and didn't bolts know Die Hard, uh, and I think you did a great job recapping. Thank you. I think I probably already. I probably already knew that. I don't. I probably already said that. I don't remember what I said honestly the other day when we recorded <laughs> the first half of this. But I think you know the basic beats of Die Hard are something I already knew. But what I didn't know were the, all the details. So let's get into it, shall we? Well, let's. Uh, so let's. Yep. I was just going to say, let's start with uh, our heroes, our story, and our, our, our characters. How did you... Uh, sure, sure. It was my got, idea to do this a, macro you know, topic, and then I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> we, got, we got our John yeah. McClane. We can talk a lot about him. Um, I think we hit most of my bullet points in the intro, just kind of like, he, we were right, you know, he's more of the everyman than your Schwarzeneggers or your Van Dams. Um, 
but he gets a lot of hero things to do. Um, we got your uh, Bonnie Bedelia, whose name Holly is Gennaro. Holly Gennaro. Uh, we got the your, wife of John um, McClane. Hans. It's confusing because right. she did, she we- has abandoned his name. Probably was brainwashed by some feminists. Um, so she's going back to her birth name as if that were her right. Um, and <laughs> as if she were no longer yeah, property. It's, uh, of her you know, husband. I mean, uh, her father gave up 40 uh, good goats, uh, I imagine, <laughs> to uh, John McClain's father. Of your best goats. Give me 40 of your best goats. <laughs> I like how uh, I'm using course. old world talk, but you're using a 1920s voice to describe that's, a dowry. That's as far back as I can go. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is There's no recorded history before 1925. I mean, this is radio, after all. So we got Hans Gruber. That's our big bad. Hansi Grub. Um, we have some of my favorite uh, terrorists. I got the list of terrorists here if you want me to just run down them real quick. Dauber from Coach. Dauber from Coach. Oh, no, that's I, ha- I have them listed here as the hipster. That's our my hipster terrorist. They're kind of like the Care okay. Bears to me. They all have like different personalities and bring something new to the table. Uh, you got yeah. the, uh, the hair. Now, that's two men. You got blonde hair, blonde long hair, and you've got brunette long hair. Two of my favorites. I think mm, everyone yeah. collected those action figures. Yeah. You've got Genghis Khan, which sounds racist, but he did play Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted 1. He played in Bill and Ted, uh, You got yeah. Blue Lagoon, and he's like the, who's setting up the C4 yeah. on the rooftop. He's got the blonde right. curly locks. Uh, and you also okay. have, I don't know if you caught this, but we have Vigo, the master of evil, try to battle my boys. That's not legal. Is it yeah. actually him this time? It's oh, that actor. Wow. Um, wait, when did we think it was him before? There was another movie where we there thought was, it was him. I think it was... One of the one of the Bills and Ted's mm, classic us. Um, no, but this time it is it is really that actor. And what an actor! See, I went by I identified the henchman by oh, and the nerd. I, uh, my apologies, the nerd working yeah, the the, nerd. the lock. I I, I I it wasn't as consistent <laughs> as you, but I, I identified them by celebrities they look like. So it was like Huey Lewis, Frankie Huey Valley. Lewis working the front desk, right? Them. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Correct. And it's like just a sports jacket with a t-shirt underneath, like sports. And he was, uh, he was a little, he reminded me of a gay Southerner when uh, Al comes to the, to the lobby. He's like, well, thank you very much. You have a nice day. I was like, I think I've dated this guy. Uh, other characters, we have Walter Peck, intrepid reporter. <laughs> yes, that is true. I was like, oh yeah, his name is Walter Peck in this. I'm like, no, he's not. That is his name in Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Um, he as a standby, if you need that's a right. dick, this man has no dick. If you need an asshole in a movie, that's uh, that's the one you want to go with. He good. He's good. He plays. He plays a good asshole. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Carl Winslow himself, a man who has played yeah. a cop uh, in New York, also in Ghostbusters. We have a man who's played a cop in Los true? Angeles, and he has played a cop in Chicago in Family Matters. Reginald Vell Johnson. Mm. He was, uh, he, Mm-mm. when they're in jail for a brief period in act three, uh, he lets them out. He says, Ghostbusters, oh. the mayor wants to see you guys. Reginald Val Johnson, RVJ. One of my favorite non-cop cops. Also possibly non-cop. one of my favorite cops these days. These days. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is very clearly a, a John McClane joint as far as characters go. We're, we're very centered around, I mean, you've always got a main character, but this is not exactly an ensemble picture. But you've got Hans Gruber is is the second lead for sure. Yes, Alan although Rick. I think it, uh, um, I think I forget because there's been so many uh, dies hard at this point. But Reginald Vell Johnson is also like a fairly substantial that's role true. in this. He does get a lot of a lot to do with the sort of emotional side of it, the development of the, the character. You know, of McLean's 
And speaking of the sequels, like one of the things I think that even the sequels have lost and a lot of the movies that have sort of used Die Hard as a template is that, I mean, when you see Bruce Willis in this, you're so used to Bruce Willis, I think our generation who grew up with Bruce Willis in this phase of his career. Right. It's easy to forget like how much of an everyman he does look like in this movie. Like when he is in his his A shirt, he just looks like a better than average guy. Like he's in okay he like shape, not Billy great Joel. shape. <laughs> he's got a Billy Joel vibe about him. He's got male pattern baldness. He might whip out a harmonica at any moment. But it it is kind of like, and this you also have to remember, like this is the era of like of like the massive, like bulky, muscular superstars, like John McTiernan, who directed this. Uh, his pre, I think his previous movie Under the is show. Um, Predator. Predator, which, mm-hmm. which was like. I saw that movie and I got body dysmorphia just within the first five minutes. Like every guy in there has like pecs the size of and before that I was completely oh, yeah. confident. Before that I was you like, know, yeah, I'm in pretty my... good shape. <laughs> Most guys have, you know, a fat percentage of 25, right? That's right. I right. Could, uh, I could, could flap a few reps. That's what you say, right? <laughs> I've run a few steps. Um, I wanted to skip ahead a little bit just because I love a bad guy with a plan. And there's so many action, especially action movies, where the plan is either too complicated or just kind of like, what? It's, it's like <laughs> you don't understand their actual motivation. This is like, there's a little bit of, you know, of the red herring of terrorism, but it's it's a high right, It's just a, it's just a robbery, money. essentially. A very high-tech robbery. Yeah, but it's a high-tech, extremely well-planned. You can tell from the second that the bad guys arrive that they have a plan. Like, it's not like they come in, the guy immediately does a super, the, the nerdy black guy jumps over and does a cool kick. He kicks the dead body uh, of the, um, the dead body out of the, the security thing, guard. And he's immediately, he's immediately getting to work on the security. Like they know what their, their plan is. And that's, that's what makes this so interesting is, is John McClane is clearly just a fly in the ointment. Cause if he wasn't there, truly this would have gone off without a hitch. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know. In the vein of them having a plan, uh, one thing I noticed this time, I mean, I've probably seen this like 15 times at this point, but uh, Hans Gruber, when he first arrives, he's got a little uh, notebook with his little speech that he's going to give to <gasps> to the to the hostages. He's got something to say, and it's it's full of, uh, you know, little uh, anti-capitalist screeds, which are, you know, of course, part of the red herring, which is probably why he has it written down. He doesn't fully believe it. Right. I did, yeah, I think, uh, I'll tell you a little story, a little story, a little window into my relationship. Um, Tyler Please. sat down to watch this with me, and just between you, me, uh, The Wall, and all of our listeners, he did not want to watch this. <laughs> um, he was not interested. He he generally, Shh. I mean, generally speaking, he does not care for this type of, like, straight-up action movie. Right. And he did not want to watch this, and he wanted to riff on it while we were watching it, Mystery Science Theater style, because he wanted to take it down a few notches. The old take down a notch. And he's very good at that. He kept trying to like poke holes in the plan. And like within a few seconds, the movie would almost like responding to him in real time would like counter (laughs) his point. So like at one point when, when Carl is sort of chasing McLean around the elevator shaft around sort of the midway point of the movie, Carl, now is this a dauber from coach? That's that's dauber's brother. uh, The sort of uh, Shelley Long's ex-boyfriend in the money pit, um, okay, blonde, okay. blonde hair. Uh, he 
just I want to lose every single listener. Absolutely, I want everyone to have like sort of like one of those sort of uh, true detective style, just pictures and strings (laughs) in their garage. Um, He's chasing him around the uh, elevator shaft, and Tyler's just like, "Why doesn't he just go back?" to the lobby where everyone else is hanging out. Like Bruce Willis can run around the building all he wants. The police are here. Who gives a shit? And then literally within a few seconds, Hans is on the radio saying, come down here. The police are already here. You, you don't need to be doing this. Let him run around. We've got other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie is one establishing. Sure. That's definitely the smart thing. Carl is a hothead. Right. He, and also, I mean, not only right. a hothead, his brother's been killed by the very man he's chasing. Right. So it's understandable yeah. why he's, he's not thinking exactly. rationally. There was another moment, less plot focused, but when the police are storming the front door, there's a very funny shot uh, that I always forget exists. Like uh, like a fog comes over my brain, but every time I watch the movie anew, I'm like, oh, that is good. When the police are storming the front door, one of the police rubs up against Rosebush in the landscaping, and he goes, ah! And it's just like a quick like five-second shot. And Tyler said aloud, yeah. It's like, well, I don't think you should be in this line of work if that's going to bother you. And I turn to Tyler, I'm like, I think that's the joke the movie's trying to make. (laughs) If you would just give this movie a chance. Uh, But Tyler did insist, if I was going to make fun of him, I had to make this point of his, which is possibly true. If John McClane hadn't gotten involved, yes, their plan would probably go off without a hitch. But the body count would probably be, he says the body count would be one which now he fell asleep during the third act when it's revealed that they were going to blow up the top of the building. Right. But he, instead of admitting he fell asleep, he just denied that that happened. Uh, <laughs> so we got into a little fight over lunch today. But uh, Tyler wanted me to stress uh, that that his he has staunchly believes that John McClane actually increased the body count rather than saved any lives. I disagree. Well, and they were going to plan to kill all the hostages in the explosion. Yeah, it sounded like they were going to blow the entire... Their plan uh, was to fake their own deaths. But yes, yes, I want yeah. uh, to. With due respect to Hans's plan, I mean his plan is pretty yeah. like solid for a for an action, action movie. movie. Yeah, like right. his plan is to come in here, pretend to be a terrorist, because if he pretends to be a terrorist, the FBI will get involved rather than the local police. Then the local pol- right. or then the FBI will go by their supposed uh, terrorist playbook, cut the power, which will allow them to access the the safe. the safe and access the bearer bonds. Which, as an economics major, I definitely know what they are, and I don't think we need to explain here. Yeah. Not, you guys all know what that is. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. We all know bearer bonds, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Thank you. They have a picture of George Washington on them. So uh, we all know they're pretty much the same as money. So you were about to say, but to the plan after you said, with all due respect to the plan, were you about to do? No, I, I mean, I think it's a fairly solid plan. I mean, I did a brief reading on the book that this is based on, Nothing Lasts Forever, just to see. I was just curious, like, how close mm. it is. It seems like it is fairly close. The book, is that the name of the book? Nothing Lasts Forever? I think it is. Richard no Thorpe. And it's a detective going to visit his daughter in the book who works at an oil company and terrorists take over. But in that book, they're actually legitimate terrorists uh, with actual Mm. grievances about the oil company and how they treat people in the countries that they're extracting oil out of. You know, it's a book. It's a complete fantasy. Sometimes they're just, they're not based on Where do they get that from? How could corporations take advantage of uh, native peoples of the countries they're involved with? How can how can you take advantage of peoples if it's not like Nestle would charge the 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 people of a country for their own water? You know, it's not like insane. Um, But in the book, in the book, 
uh, they're legitimate terrorists. And I think the Hans Gruber-like character does die in the same fashion, but he takes the daughter with him. And so they both die. Mm, okay. Oh, wow. So I think the movie Damn, is dark. a lot more uh, lighthearted hearted than the, the book is. So I think they made some conscious choices yeah. to make it a little bit more fun-loving, which I appreciate. Yeah, and they, they do, despite the that not being as dark, they do, they do make some connections for John McClane, for our hero with the, he does have, like we see his kids at the beginning, talk to him on the phone. Hi daddy. <laughs> uh-huh. And at some point Gruber learns that his wife is there because she had been going by a different name and she was, so he didn't realize it was her, his wife. So uh, there is like not that full darkness of his daughter dying at the end, but there is like that threat of figuring out who his wife is. I also thought this is not, this movie is not, full of verisimilitude. It's not like real to life in a lot of ways. Go on. However, I'm interested in when, this. When the bad guys show up and start shooting and John McClane, the first thing we hear is John McClane's in the bathroom. He's like in a state of undress uh, as he's like getting ready to come to the party. And we start hearing gunshots. It was genuinely terrifying just in the, the in the year 2020, uh, <laughs> hearing gunshots from another room, right. just like, oh shit. I mean, even though I was knowing it was coming, I was just like a visceral, like, I don't know. I thought the way they did that was cool. There's some really interesting, cool direction in this. I mean, this. No, I don't think he's absolutely perfect, but I think at some point like Willis yeah. like fits into this role, like he really captures not just in his look, as we said earlier, but he does a really good job of conveying doubt in himself, doubt in the plan yeah. he's just come up with on the fly, sometimes yes. wondering why he did something in the past, sometimes wondering why he's about to do something fairly what we would consider stupid. I think some of the criticism of the later iterations of the Die Hard movie is that that he's sort of like a superhero. Like I said in the intro, like one of the last one I saw, he drove a semi-tractor trailer off of a overpass into a helicopter and somehow knew that would work. Uh, and he did it with extreme right. confidence. Like, right. this is just another Tuesday for me. But this one, I mean, he he really does a great job of like conveying close calls where he's like, oh shit, I just narrowly yeah. avoided getting shot just then. And I think it's kind of, it, it makes me think like differently. The movie I kept thinking of, and this is weird because I, one, have not seen this movie, and two, don't think I know a person who's seen this movie, but do you remember, it may have been two or maybe three years ago, where the, the Rock, sorry, Dwayne Johnson, the movie Skyscraper? I do know of that movie, and I have seen it. I mean, that is the movie, I mean, naturally, because it's, I think it's wearing its, its diehard homage on its sleeve, but For it's sure. so, there's like, the shot they kept using in the commercials was him like jumping off of like a, a broken window yeah. onto a crane on the other side of the building, and people were like taking that shot apart on Twitter and just like showing the arc of a jump, and they're like, they, he's not going to make like it. the physics <laughs> Yeah, But of course yeah. he makes it and you're never in doubt that he makes it. And that, you know, you might attribute that to CGI nowadays. And also the fact that The Rock, as much as I assume he's a real person, I guess I'll buy the hype on that one. <laughs> I'm still not sure he's not a CGI creature, <laughs> but like he is not an everyman. He's not someone you see just walking right. down the street. If you did, you'd be like, oh God, does he just constantly need to be consuming calories? Um, it's enormous. <laughs> And like the idea of a man doing that and just jumping out the fucking window because he's an architect of the building is ludicrous. But I think this movie yeah. allows Bruce Willis a little leeway in doing somewhat ludicrous things, although I don't think it ever reaches totally. the levels that current action movies do. Because Willis is very believable in, 
I don't think he's very good in dialogue, he's, but he is very believable in his reaction yeah. shots to events that make you. He's freaking out the whole yeah. time. Like he's he's mad. He's pissed when he calls the cops and they're like not listening to him. Does like, it sound like I'm ordering a fucking pizza? No, yeah. No fucking shit, lady. Yeah, I, I, that's. I mean, that's amazing. And then it's a really funny line, and the way he deals it, and he is, he is like sort of quipping like more and more as the movie goes along. But it's also like he, the way he he delivers it in a really good way. That's like he, somebody might do that in these jokes because they're just like can't believe they're like almost out of body, right? You know what I mean? They're they're. I mean, it is humor. As my therapist did tell me, is a defense mechanism. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. They're just he's doing it not in a like hasta la vista, baby, but more <laughs> right. in a like ha, 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 oh god sort of way. And and it's the way he delivers. I, and I his plans increasingly <laughs> become more. They go from very realistic. Like his first response is to like, I'm just going to trigger a fire alarm and get the you know, the cops, cops here or the, the emergency services here. And I think his, his plans like become more and more increasingly like batshit because he's sort of left with very little options. But I think the movie does a very good job of escalating uh, realistic responses to more and more crazy responses. Yeah. It doesn't start with him tying a fire hose around <laughs> himself on the top floor of a skyscraper and jumping down and through a window. Like by the, if, you, if that was the first thing you'd be like, okay, okay John wow. McClain. Yeah, I'm I'm in for a crazy action movie, which you of course are. This is Die Hard after all, but they ramp up to that, and that's really it's really effective. I, I really like. I do it. also while we're that's talking all. about character. I mean, not to get away from him, but I think I agree. It is like his show. It is the the John McClane show, um, canceled after two seasons. It's a shame. Uh, but I do think like <laughs> this movie does a really good job of sort of fleshing out everyone. I would like to get back to Hans Gruber, but I wanted to get. Ba- I I think that Bonnie Bedelia. Uh, is a very underrated like part of this cast. She isn't a yeah. uh, complete like damsel in distress. I think she always is very self-possessed in this situation. Yeah. Like when uh, they're trying to get her boss, Mr. Takagi, the CEO of the Nakatomi corporation or whatever, or maybe not the CEO, but just like the head of the American, what have you. She, she like sort of like holds his arm to like stop him from like standing up and like, obviously, because her husband's a cop and she's like, here's what you should not do is not identify yourself. Uh, and later on, she sort of becomes the leader of the the sort of group and negotiates with Hans for some... When her boss is right. dead. He says, well, who died yeah. and made you in charge? He, or who... I can't remember what he says. What idiot put you in charge? And she said, you did when you shot my boss. Oh. But, and the whole crowd was like, oh. And then that air horn sound was like... Oh. Anyway, um... She, yeah, she, she like negotiates for some amenities. You know, there's a pregnant woman on staff. They, they bring out a couch for her. And uh, so I think she does a really good job. I mean, later on, she, she does get a little bit of the Princess Peach uh, thing, but yes. not completely like Mario. Uh, she, she really holds her own. And um, I think in the second one, she, she sort of becomes more of a Princess Peach, but then she sort of disappears by the third, fourth, and uh, I dare say fifth one. <laughs> Well, and she part of it is she kind of stays. Her reactions are very much more in line with what a normal person would do in this situation. Love a brave normal person with with you know a, a good head on her shoulders. But as the as the action gets more crazy and John McClane's actions get more desperate and the action gets bigger and bigger, her, she still stays like kind of like a moral a normal person, which makes her her action seem less like interesting and brave by contrast. But they are like if you if you 
in a normal situation, she would be the hero of this movie because there would be no John McClane busting right. out. No one invites their you know ex-husband I mean? cop to parties. He's no fun. <laughs> he didn't even take the champagne. First of all, first of all, this is a banging party. Yeah, people are Don't fucking on here. desks over here. You got people poking it up, eighties <laughs> style. Uh-huh. You got a, you got a Frank Lloyd Wright water fountain on the thirtieth floor. Or you got whatever. a, you got Jesus. a fucking string quintet playing Bach up there on the balcony, no less of this the, the classy. It's classy it's as classy fuck. as that. fuck, and possibly even if you were in Europe, classy as shit. Um, <laughs> but I really, I really liked her, and actually, she in this viewing, my favorite line was when she and I kind of want to explore like her relationship with her, her and John's relationship. But when John finally arrives in the sort of finale of the movie, and she finally sees him because they've been separated since the beginning of the movie, and she sees essentially what he's been through. He's covered in grime, covered in his own blood. He has no shoes on. He's bleeding profusely from the soles of his feet. <laughs> that wasn't an anti-foot thing, just like the the visceral glass and the feet thing. Yeah. Like, <gasps> and she just says, "That's one thing." I, I know it's like supposed to be sensitive, but also like that. And then like anytime someone rolls down a hill like in princess bride i get like a visceral like my right, whole because body you've shudders. done that it's one of yeah, those things it where it's like no 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 i that i've done that uh wesley and buttercup i've rolled down a hill and it's not uh something i want to kiss after it's one thing or i just want to groan for a while honey i love I've you too on but a piece i just want to lay here and groan <laughs> i've stepped on a piece of granola and i know how that <laughs> feels so the glass i just can't anyway sorry that was but her point. response when she sees him at the end is just she just says jesus yeah and it's a, it's a striking line because like i think a lesser movie would just like have her say his like scream out his name or blah blah blah, blah like have like sort of a moment but she's just like oh my god they've this man has like sort of been like completely destroyed in just trying to take down these terrorists when i i thought they did a good job of like of getting Getting all that established and then getting to the reason we're all here, which is Alan Rickman, you know, like bring, bring <laughs> it, bring in your Rick, ticket. It doesn't know? say Die Hard. It just says Alan Rickman on it. Alan Rickman pre- presents an Alan Rickman A one man show starring Alan Rickman as Bruce Willis. Music by, weirdly, the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> but. but then you find out that Alan Rickman is a Parson in a small English town. And then it all makes sense. Oh, so because, given my masterful transition, why don't we talk about Hans Booby? <laughs> Hans, I'm your white knight. Uh, he, I mean, I, I mean, he saves this movie from be, kind of being a generic movie, like a generic. Which is funny movie. because I mean, I I think that, that there's a yeah. lot of things that Die Hard does right, but I think casting Alan Rickman, which again I had to double check, it is his first like big Hollywood thing. He had done like TV, right. but mostly he was a stage actor. And this was his his sort of big break into doing films. And he's just so much fun. I love a villain. I think the great sign of a action movie villain, at least, is that you are ha- you are having fun when they're on the screen, but when they die, you're also happy. You're like, right. you did it. Yeah, you don't. You're definitely not rooting for him at all. And th- I think that takes a lot of. It takes a good movie and a good actor. You know, all the right parts moving to make that happen. Because you like. You do, if you switch it too far, then all of a sudden, I mean, that's a different kind of movie where he's no longer just the antagonist. But this movie is like, he's clearly the villain. He's irredeemable. He's murdering people left and right. But you're also like, good. you're glad to see him. Oh, look Come who on arrived. In. It's that murderer. <laughs> he, 
You texted me um, a great line that he has where he's sort of uh, bullshitting his way with the FBI as to what the the terrorists' demands are. And because they're not really terrorists, he's just sort of winging it. And at some point he mentions the Red Dawn Party and uh, Carl, blonde hair, uh, he, he sort of mouths Red Dawn. And he goes, I read about it in Time Magazine, which is a very prissy thing to say. And I mean, sort of he gives the game away early on when he's still pretending to be a terrorist and he takes Mr. Takagi upstairs and is just talking about his suit, talking about, oh yeah, you you got that at this this place in London. I have two myself. Like it's all like, you're like, wait, you're an anti-capitalist terrorist? In what capacity yeah. is that your job title? And then you realize, oh, he's just in it for the money. I just realized he re- he delivers that line well twice because he, he also says... I read the article in Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's deranged. But he delivers it in a completely different situation. Oh my God, I didn't even realize it's like I highlighted both of those lines because they made me laugh. And they're the same line essentially, but read completely differently. Love that guy. I mean, almost, um, I, I was talking to a friend at work today um, and she was saying that she had never seen Die Hard. And I knew she, she loves Alan Rickman in, in Robin Hood. And I'm sure big Die Hard mm. fans will get angry at me for saying this, but it almost feels like a, an audition for Sheriff of Nottingham. Like Sheriff of Nottingham <laughs> goes like all out like a snidely whiplash villain. But yeah. it, this is just like a twinge of that. He seems like really put together. I mean, he almost follows the same sort of storyline as Sheriff of Nottingham, very put together uh, villain. And as the movie goes, he like unravels more and more to great comedic effect and very charming in that Alan Rickman is just fucking charming. Yes. Of course he's cheating on his wife in love. Actually. He's so charming that women are just falling all over him. Uh, <laughs> I have a couple more plot Please. just to, I feel like this, this movie is really, it's one of those where you can tell that it's a, yeah, it's, it's like a script that people, I don't know, this is going to sound dumb, but that people worked on. There wasn't just like a, <laughs> it wasn't a Judd that, Apatow that someone, joint. Well, there's just so many breadcrumbs and they're like, they're just like nice little breadcrumbs. They're not like super important to the overall storyline, but like, for example, Please. You know, her her maiden name comes into play, you know, like she's not using it because they're she's trying to establish herself. And actually, she gives a what was the other reason? Well, she, she says gave? that she it's a Japanese. Reason. She never really goes into it, but yeah. she says it's a Japanese company, John. And she never really goes into what that that is supposed to mean as why they would right. be uncomfortable with a woman who has a. Uh, McLean is her surname or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it does double duty. It like tells us that she is somewhat estranged from her husband because he does, you know, yeah. the search for her on the company computer for under McLean and then realizes she's going by her maiden name. But it also does double duty in that it is this dramatic tension in that the terrorists don't know who she is, that, that she is connected yeah, to this right. guy, the fly in their ointment, as it were. And then the Frank Lloyd Wright water feature comes back into play because McLean like sneaks behind some of the rocks at one point and he's like splashing through the water, which is like, it's just like a really noticeable set piece and they use it later, like as opposed to just being like, isn't this cool? In this little posh right. workplace, they're also like, he uses it later. And then like the Rolex comes back into play. This is the first time that I realized the Rolex is the the element. I think this is one of those movies that I catch the last two thirds and always miss the first third over and over right, again. Right, yeah. But yeah, Ellis, the cokehead, mentions that they just closed a big deal that day. So it's a double celebration. It's a Christmas party and then the closure of this big deal. And Holly got a Rolex, you know, for her participation in the deal. 
participation in the deal, businessman. And later, of course, that is what's holding Hans Gruber from the building. And in another moment that I'm politically a little iffy on, John McClane unhooks the Rolex to let it fall to the to the ground with Hans Gruber still, you know, clutching onto it. Thus, yeah. the metaphor but of her bus- politically? Li- business life is falling to the ground while he gets to uh, regain his wife. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I was just going to say, I was just talking about like the literal. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. One of my notes is, yeah. I mean, I hate to keep saying this because it makes me sound like a really grumpy old fucking man because I just said it on the Bill and, at least Bill and Ted one where just like, I really do appreciate in this time when like, Movies are just going two and a half, three hours, and I'm like, look, you're a superhero movie. I get the gist of it. Let's get to it already. <laughs> get Chris Pratt saying funny shit. I get it. Just do it. Um, that this is like a, a, a lot of things are doing double duty here. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Takagi at one point, I mean, this is a more ham-fisted example, but Mr. Takagi is like, ah, oh, you must be John McClane. And he's like, you got a very nice building here. And he's like, ah, yes, it would be if we ever, you know, finish it. There are several floors still under construction. And me and Tyler looked at each other and said, not that that will come up at any point in the future. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was the same thing where we were like, spend a lot of time in the beginning with Argyle. Like, and I know he does, like you mentioned, he does like come, come into play later at the very, very end. And we do cut to him, but it's like, at first you're like, okay, see, Argyle seems like he's going to be important later. Like, but he's it's the like, Chekhov's uh, Argyle. yeah, but you got the Chekhov's Argyle. You got the Chekhov's maiden name. You got the Chekhov's <laughs> Rolex. You got the Chekhov's, you know what I mean? Chekhov's like they, they just plant a lot of story. We got the Chekhov's everything. Right. Speaking of, well, I want to, I want to save that for our politics portion of this discussion. Okay. For the, okay. for the copaganda talk. Can we, are we not there? Look are we not there? See, um, well, um, no. So let's yeah, let's talk about the politics of Die Hard. I texted you that we should talk about the politics of Die Hard, and you're like, I don't really have a note about politics of Die Hard. All I have is a cab a bunch <laughs> of times. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. I would like to go into to how this movie views cops and uh, authority in general. But like, so I I mean, this is 1988. It's uh, during, of course, the the. Uh, the last year of the Reagan administration. But I mean, it feels very conservative politically because I mean, we have, I mean, our main hero is a cop. We have a cop backstory or we have Al's cop story. And not that that was considered political at the time, I guess, but we also get from John McClane that he's sort of the stereotypical, much like Dirty Harry before him, the cop that plays by his own rules. Uh, when he captures right. Carl's brother, uh, Dauber from Coach, aka hipster hit, hipster <laughs> terrorist, he says, uh, the hipster terrorist says, you are cop, you have rules. And John McClane says, yeah, my captain keeps telling me that. And mm. which is like supposed to be like this, yeah, like, yeah, he's going to beat his ass or whatever. I feel like that's what the movie <laughs> wants me to think. And I'm like... Yeah, there are rules, John. You can't just be killing yeah. people. Although I will say in the movie's defense, like he does not, he does fight this guy, but the guy dies by accident. They fall down a stairwell and the guy hits his head against a post. Not that John McClane does right. not willingly kill many a terrorist uh, in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Just not the, but first, the first one. one he accidentally kills. But we, we also like then. At first, for the first half, I was like, oh, God, this is a real, like, pro-cop movie. But then the second half of the movie begins, second half, like, uh, starts, and 
the Los Angeles police are now aware of the terrorist incident and arrive, and the, the deputy chief arrives, and the, they are sort of played as like doofuses. Aside from yeah. Al, a Reginald Javel Johnson's character, they're sort of played as doofuses, and I was like, oh, well, maybe it's a little bit more nuanced than that, and I think it is. And I couldn't tell like what the movie wanted me to think about that. Like, oh well, John McClane because he's a loner and sort of like a, a rogue, like and an individual, he's able to like sort of figure this stuff out. But the system of like police forces, like this, maybe a libertarian idea of like, well, this government force of police officers are a bunch of idiots because they have their own protocols that they have to follow and they don't have any wiggle room for someone as smart and genius like, like John McClane or Al. Do you actually, do you really think though, that it was that pointed of a message? I don't think it was a conscious message, but like, I I think especially- I buy the underlying message. I think especially when the the feds get involved and the deputy chief is so obsequious to them in a very, in like a weird way, uh, when the two Johnsons end up getting blowed up by the C4 on the roof, uh, he has this funny line where he says, oh, we're going to need more feds. Instead of like FBI doing guys, his own, like leading the charge, he's like constantly like, well, I guess someone else needs to be in charge, right? I don't know. The movie, I mean, I don't know if it was as conscious as like, well, I'm a libertarian, so of course I'm going to make all these like federal government guys look like idiots. But I think there was like a very conscious effort to be like, these cops are morons. Uh, yeah. And this cop, this one cop, he knows what's up. Because I mean, it's kind of anti-bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. Because like Al yeah, has like right. this weird line when the Johnsons are sort of leading the charge to like cut the power, and Al is on the thing with uh, John. He says, "Oh yeah, the FBI is in charge now, and they're doing the anti-terrorism playbook step by step." And I'm like, "Well, what would you know about it?" Like, I mean, I understand right. like the movie doesn't think this is a good idea, but like, why would this like desk cop? have an opinion on what the terrorism playbook should or should not involve. (laughs) Are you familiar with the playbook? Are you? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, let's get into cops, his, his backstory. So, I mean, this is what is probably the uh, most like, I mean, of course the movie wouldn't have known about this, but like, it's so awkward to watch now because it mirrors the story of Tamir Rice in Cleveland. So like, yeah awkwardly for lack of a better word like it's so like on the nose that it's uncomfortable to watch now so what is to, yeah uh, really recap is. real quick what what al's backstory is so he uh yeah he he pulls a gun he thinks uh this kid it isn't it's, i don't remember if it says like how old the kid is but it's a kid yeah, he refers to him has as has a, a laser gun or whatever like a, a toy and he thinks it's real and he shoots the kid and he can't draw his gun again he's so traumatized right. like the kid is dead, but he's traumatized. And we're, you know, right. we're... And, and so part of it is like the, looking him back in hindsight, it's like, what a fucking terrible story. Like now having lived through a similar event uh, as people living in 2020, it's like um, you understand like the horror for the family of that kid. And so you're a little bit less sympathetic right. to him. On the other hand... He is obviously like bothered by it and it's affected him in a yes. way, which is something that we, we don't necessarily hear from cops. It's, uh, it's not the vibe we get from cops these days where it's like, hey, right. we're, we've got a job to do. So mistakes will be made and you're just going to have to live with it. Or at least that's the vibe I get. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and, and uh, like, I think in these situations, like, I don't doubt that the cop, like they, they would feel awful. 
and they would have to go through all that kind of stuff. But I'm also like the other side of this is person, someone who's dead, right. who is not alive their, to experience child. Yeah. Yeah. Not, they're not alive to experience trauma anymore. They're not alive. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I'm not to say, it's not to say that both things aren't bad, but like to pretend like they're equal is absurd. You know right. what I mean? Like, I do not think I would have noticed that as much now, uh, you know, just given, uh, and that's, that's on me, right. you know what I mean? And that hopefully that's, hopefully that's growth for me and as, as society, but I, I hear that story and I'm just like, Oh mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, and you're a little bit like on one hand, I'm sure that really, I mean, I, that's awful. That's awful to live through as, as the cop that did that, you know, he clearly didn't mean to do that. And that's an awful mistake that he has to live with for the rest of his life. But also like, but this kid is dead. Mm-hmm. So maybe you shouldn't be a policeman anymore. Right. There is an option where you do fucking anything else with your right. life. Right. There's not a there's not an acknowledgement in a movie <laughs> that there's something wrong with maybe how we are training policemen. Not that I mean Die Hard is the place to uh unpack, you know, police training and culture. Right. We have to talk about it that way. No, though. I know. I mean, like, I it's, mean that, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's such a it's such a weird moment in this movie uh, yeah. and not for any yeah. reason they could have ever foreseen, but it is so, so oddly prescient that it just sort of grinds the movie to a halt. And then like undercuts, of course, during the final climax, it's revealed that, you know, Carl Blondie is still has survived his uh, chain strangling and wall face uh, lacerations to. Uh, oh, yeah. How do you do that? It's not important. It won't come up again. Um, <laughs> he rises out of his stretcher where presumably EMTs have declared him dead because he has a blanket over his face. Uh, he rises out of uh, his stretcher to shoot John McClane, whereas Al is able to finally draw his gun and shoot him. And I'm like, well, I mean, I appreciate that you saved John and Holly's lives, but I don't know if I can really root for you finally got over the trauma of killing an innocent child. Right. He lived to kill again. <laughs> Thank goodness. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's just, it's just really, uh, and also like, to be fair, you know, like a, a couple of white guys in our position talking about this makes me think that 30 years, 32 years ago when this came out, there was probably also a lot of people maybe in the black community going like, Already, like Jesus Christ, right? No, no, you know doubt. what I mean. Or, Absolutely, no doubt. And so, like, yeah, okay. Well, we're late to the party, but you know, watching this, especially this is the first time I've ever seen this, so I, it's not even like wow, I can just reflect on how me, I felt. Right, right, throwing me under the bus. Right. Well, on. this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. So, in a lot of ways, Damon. Well, I, I'm not saying that. <laughs> All I'm saying is I can't. I can't speak for you. I'm just saying, like, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have picked up on it at an earlier time. So I'm not going to pretend like, you know, no super woke guy no, over I, here. I, but I, like, I am the same. I think this is the first <laughs> time I've sat and actually watched the movie through since, since the Tamir Rice incident. Killing is the word right. I'm looking for. And uh, I, it, it is like jarring to watch. So yeah. So to just bring it back up a little bit before we, uh, the debate over whether this is a Christmas movie. Ah, or not, yes. I have to, I have to weigh in here. I don't know. Is this something we should say for the verdict? You know what? We should. We for, let's say for the verdict uh, whether we think okay. your your inner child is an idiot and whether your inner child thinks this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> okay, you want to go to yes, the verdict please. then? Okay, jingle all the way to the verdict. Here we go. Damon Xanthopoulos. Is this a Christmas movie? 
you know, you put me on the spot. I will. I mean, I feel like I gave this away in the intro, but yeah, I would say this is as much a Christmas movie as love actually is a Christmas movie. Like it's set at Christmas. The soundtrack is heavily Christmas, like even more than just like the, the Christmas songs like uh, Christmas and Hollis and, and let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. But like the whole, uh, the safe, has a theme which is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Like every time you, you're at the safe, <laughs> Beethoven's Ninth yeah. is playing. Like uh, Hans, I think, whistles it to himself. Whenever Hans is on screen, it's Beethoven's Ninth in a minor key. Like every, there's a lot of like jingle bells. If you're actually listening to the music, there are jingle bells yeah. that worked into the soundtrack. I feel like by the standards of Christmas movies, yeah, sure. What makes Home Alone a Christmas yeah. movie? That it's at Christmas and there's a bunch of Christmas decorations everywhere. And I feel like this movie is fairly like throwing. It's not just like that. It's at Christmas. Like I just watched Doubt, the Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, Philip Seymour Hoffman movie, which is about like yeah. questioning whether a, a Catholic priest molested a child. That movie takes place at Christmas, but otherwise has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. This movie, I feel like, takes place at Christmas, and there are Christmas trees burning. There's Christmas songs playing on the soundtrack. I feel like this whole thing is set around it is Christmas time and juxtaposing horrible violence against the Christmas. Yeah, time. totally. Yeah, and the, yeah, I was, and I was juxtaposing say- L.A. Christmas, which is something also Lethal right. Weapon does. L.A. Christmas and the, all this talk about snow and what have you, but it. It's completely temperate outside. I mean, that's always a great joke. Thank you, Shane Black. But yeah, sure. Who gives a shit? Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Well, I'll tell you who thinks this is a Christmas movie. The movie (laughs) clearly (laughs) thinks this is a Christmas movie. Like, it's supposed to, like, it does do a little bit of of the, like, this is not your typical, like, you know. (laughs) Right. This is not your dad's Christmas movie. But it is, like, still, it's set at Christmas and it's, like, super into Christmas it's all about Super reuniting two. with your family. Another Christmas yeah. trope. Okay, we got your Christmas verdict. Now, oh, damn, what is your actual verdict? Thank you. I mean, with some noted caveats aside on the propaganda a- aspect of this movie, uh, because it does, I mean, we didn't fully go into it, but I feel like it ha- definitely has the warrior cop. Like, I can imagine, like, some guys I would never hang out with in my high school watching Die Hard and being like, I'm going to be a one day <laughs> so i mean that part is uh chilling so mm-hmm. i would say mileage may vary on liking die hard but overall i mean it is a fairly stupid movie well written but like stupid in a good way um it's a fun watch uh it's very charming uh i think it's very tightly written and makes me appreciate like tightly written like action or yeah. just tightly m- written movies where it's like there's not a lot of flab so yeah, I would say your inner child is not an idiot. DJ. Yes. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Of course it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Unless you don't want to watch it at Christmas, but I mean, that's fine. But if you're like, this is a Christmas movie, it's my favorite Christmas movie, that's fine. Enjoy. As far as the the full movie, I, I expected some copaganda because he's a cop and we're sort of like more aware of it than And he's than also ever. a gander than ever before but the reginald van jo- val johnson's character story that like the parallels it really was hard in that moment and it's like 
especially because it's supposed to hit completely differently. It's supposed to be this really character developing moment, which of course it is, but it's also like, oh, Jesus. Like you could have done so many different things to develop his develop that aspect of his character to give us sympathy for him. And of course, like giving them the benefit of, you know, 32 years of doubt or whatever, but like, it's just, it almost wrecked it for me, but didn't quite. So your child is not an idiot for me. It's a really well done action movie. It's really fun. Bruce Willis is great in it. Alan Rickman is great in everything he's ever done in his life. RIP. Um, I could, because I hadn't seen this and I knew that he was more subdued in this than other things I've seen him in, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, for example. And I enjoyed that so much. I was a little bit worried that it'd be kind of boring, but it's not. It's, it's definitely more subtle than those, than that, or like Galaxy Quest, which is obviously like a broader comedy, but like it's so good. He's so great. Your child's not an idiot. It's fun. It's good. It's a good movie. Again, I, I, I think your mileage may vary with the cop stuff is a great way to say it. Because if you're, you know, if you've had experience with that, if you're especially sensitive to it, especially given the current climate, I can understand you being like, maybe let's not watch Die Hard right now. <laughs> and maybe let's see, let's see how we feel later on down the line. I think that's totally fair. And I think that going into that with those, you know, fresh eyes is probably a good idea. But as a movie, I thought it was really well done. They laid a lot of fun breadcrumbs and there's some good like quips and humor. And it's, it's a stupid action movie, but it's not a stupid action movie. That helps. Right. <laughs> I think it's a better, I mean, it, it's one of those things. I remember watching Star Wars for the first time and I was like, do I feel like this is kind of like predictable because I've seen every movie that's been right. like, that's come from this. And Die Hard is kind of one of those movies where there are so many like copycat movies yeah. that sometimes it's hard to piece apart. Like what is like a trope from mm. this movie and what is like sort of like a general yeah, yeah, sort of a yeah. general like stereotype. And I think this movie is fairly tight. I mean, even though it's over Toy. two hours long, but I mean, it is, it is, it does really make me appreciate the craft, even in making sort of just like a popcorn type movie. Yeah. Uh, that, that is involved. And it makes me also appreciate what we sort of have forgotten that we sort of learned from this type of movie and that. I don't know. Sometimes with movies now, the stakes are so high that it's completely unrelatable. And I think this movie like keeps the stakes fairly grounded so that you constantly are relating to him, even if you don't think that you might act the same as, as John McClane in this situation. Right. He right. literally just wants to make sure his wife and ergo his general family are safe. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, everybody? Email us. Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. Got some great emails this week. Thank you guys for, for uh, talking to us. We always appreciate hearing from you. Uh, you can call us or text us 615-576-0525. Uh, you can find us on all the social medias, uh, 538.com, uh, <laughs> newyorktimes.com. Um, the Upshot, that's a good upshot. one to, to reach out to us on. Seven uh, or two seventy to win uh, dot com. That's a good one to reach us. That's my personal one. So I mean, if you're trying to reach TJ, don't go there. Yeah, Damon uh, at two seventy to win. <laughs> uh, you can find us on all the social medias: Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, all right, Damon's mic is on the fritz, so I'm gonna I'm gonna thank the patrons. Since we're almost done here. Uh, we want to thank our patrons, including Heather Tuggle, Christine in Brooklyn, dramatically placed hot dog, the supreme ruler of this podcast, the zesty. Joshua Nicholson, Karen Curd, Larissa Maestro, Lindsay Nell, T. Smith, Jeremy Powlin, Jonathan Day, Just Cuz, Kevin from Cleveland, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Brandon Hardy, His Honor the Mayor, Primordial Burrito, 
Dan McIntyre, Jacob Grimm, and Damon's Australian accent. I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't do it like him. I just can't. Thank you all very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. And oh, I'm letting Damon fall out of the window silently, but he's looking at me very evilly. Evil.